Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles for today's message to 1 Corinthians 15. And even though the 11 o'clock service, we have a little more time than we had at 9 a.m., I still will not be able to read the whole of the chapter. I am so tempted to do that because it's a wonderful chapter. It's a powerful chapter. It's a chapter that sets the record straight concerning what our faith is all about. The resurrection story is not just some myth. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that this is an actual historical event. It happened. People saw him after he was raised from the dead. They touched him. They ate with him. They talked to him. The tomb was empty because the body of Christ, the body that was dead, now was alive again. Not brought back to a former existence to live and die in this natural world, but brought into a supernatural existence. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I'm not going to spend time today talking on the evidence of the resurrection um, as much in this chapter and uh, we uh, often spend time on that, and I encourage you to go to the bookshop and have a look at uh, some of the people whose lives have been changed, who have investigated the historical evidence, and have come up with the conclusion that the only thing that explains the resurrection is the resurrection. But I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to us, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something that happened to Him. And therefore, we think of him as the resurrected one. Yes, that's true. But he is the first of many. He is the first fruits. And exactly what we see happening to Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday is our hope. And it is a physical hope. The Christian faith is not just some ethereal idea, some idealism, some ideas that we think about. It actually has to do with the world of space and time. It, happen, it has to do with the very matter, the particles that make up our body, because our redemption is not complete just with the salvation of our souls. Our redemption will only be completed when we are resurrected with Christ and live with him in the future kingdom of God. More about that shortly. So I want you to turn 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to have a look at verse 50 to the end of the chapter. It's the climax of the chapter. A whole lot has gone on before. Please read the rest of the chapter later, but we're going to begin at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just interrupt and say he's talking about this body, this flesh and blood body, this present body that we have. This flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. The truths that we celebrate at Christmas, the virgin birth, Messiah coming into this world, and all the things that has developed around Christmas, you know, all of the joys and celebrations, it seems to be the popular Christian celebration that is stolen and taken over by people who have no Christian faith at all, and, and they love to celebrate it. And I believe, however, we should focus even more on celebrating the resurrection story. The Easter story, the death and resurrection of Jesus, is in many ways far more a focus of the New Testament than those few chapters that deal in the Gospels, deal with the incarnation. It's important. But Christmas story, the incarnation, is only the beginning of the Gospel. In many ways, if we didn't have that much detail surrounding the birth of Jesus, uh, and we only had the story of the cross and resurrection, our Gospel would be complete. Provided, of course, we realize that Jesus did come into the world. But if we took out the stories concerning the cross and resurrection, we would take out the very heart of the gospel. In fact, we would have no gospel at all. That if Christ did not die for our sins, if he was not buried and raised again for on the third day, we would have no message, we would have no faith, we would have no Christianity at all, and we would have no hope. All that we would have left would be the stories now way buried in the mists of history of, of a Galilean peasant prophet preacher who, who proclaimed a message and did some amazing things. But he gathered a crowd maybe for a while, but then he was crucified and that was the end of the story. I doubt if we'd even have heard about him. But the fact that he did not stay in the grave, the fact that God raised him from the dead, declared him to be both Lord and Christ, has not only made sense of everything, it has given us our faith and our confidence knowing that we are truly saved. Without Easter and the message of the cross and resurrection, nothing that we believe would make any sense at all. That's why the Apostle Paul in the earlier part of this chapter, when he is describing in a nutshell the gospel, what it is, he mentions very specifically the cross and the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 4, Paul says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And so he says, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins, was buried, 
and was raised again from the dead. And this morning, if you're in this building or under the sound of my voice and you're saying, what is all this Christianity about? We know it's something to do with a Christian message, something to do with Jesus, and maybe you know something about him, but you've never understood it. Today, you can understand this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He was buried. That was a conclusion. In other words, he really did die, very clearly dead. His physical body lay dead in the tomb. But the third day, God raised him from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, it vindicated everything that Jesus ever said and everything that Jesus ever claimed. Therefore, we can confidently say that Jesus Christ is Messiah. He is the Son of the living God, and He is Savior and Lord. And today that calls for a response from you. There are people here today who have never had that challenge, never responded to that challenge. And so today, with boldness in resurrection power, I say to you, repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and be saved. And by the end of this message, you're going to be glad that you are saved because what is waiting for you is a story of glory untold, a life with Jesus Christ that is not just floating around with the angels and the clouds, but a real physical resurrected life that is real and practical in this place that God is making our home. Our home, planet Earth, needs a bit of, res uh, a bit of uh, a renovation, to put it mildly. But the resurrection tells us that there is a new creation coming, a new heavens and a new earth, and we will live there physically in our resurrected bodies. Now, these aren't just a few philosophical ideas. This has a relation to life in your body. And so the resurrection makes sense of it all. Uh, some people were struggling with this in Paul's day. Don't think that just because we live in a modern scientific age that the very notion of dead people coming to life again, which is absolutely, totally ridiculous scientifically and naturally, but it's not a puzzle really because we don't believe that this world is only, is all that there is. We believe that God created this world and all its natural aspects, its natural forces and rules and, and natural laws and all the stuff that science happily discovers and, and works with, or as wonderful as that is, that is not the final reality. The Bible declares that God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says God will recreate it because it has gone wrong. Death itself is the greatest marker of what has gone wrong. Death is not the natural state. God did not plan it this way. He put us on this planet that we should live with him forever. But because of sin, corruption has entered. Entered into this world. Our world is not working as it should work. If we think of such things as sickness and disease and pain and suffering and death itself, these things were never part of God's original plan. They came because we rebelled against God. And God says, I am going to make all things new. I'm going to come down to 
that planet. I'm going to sort things out. Jesus Christ is going to pay for sin. He's going to reverse the curse. And he is going to be the first of a new creation. And this is the foretaste of what is coming. And so they struggled in those days. How did they struggle? They didn't struggle with a scientific problem. They're living in a pre-scientific age. They struggled with a philosophical problem. Because you see, their idea of salvation was getting the heaven out of here. See, the Greek philosophy thought that it was the soul that was the important thing. And as long as we could get the soul out of the body, the body could literally go to hell. And this physical world was not really anything God was interested in. He was only interested in the spiritual dimension. But I want to tell you, when God made you, he made you spirit, soul, and body. This is all of God's creation. The incarnation tells us that God is concerned about the physical world. It was not an extraordinary thing. It was miraculous and supernatural at one level, but another level quite natural. That the God who created this world would enter into this world to demonstrate himself and manifest himself within this world. And the Christmas story tells us that God is concerned about physical life. He's concerned about the planet. He's concerned about pollution. He's concerned about ecological matters. He's concerned about social issues. He's concerned about justice. He's concerned about employment. He's concerned about economics. He's concerned about family life. He's concerned about physical life. What you do with your body matters to God. And all the more so when we understand that the resurrection was God's seal of approval forever and a day, that the physical life is significant to God. And that's what resurrection tells us. And so they kind of were denying the resurrection. Oh, how terrible. They could hardly believe that God would take up a body and have to have food, eat food and go to the loo and do all those disgusting things that we humans have to do. And, 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 and they were denying some of them that Jesus even came in the flesh. Imagine what they must have thought when Paul said, not only did Jesus come in the flesh, but he was resurrected in a body and lives forever in a resurrected body, and that's going to happen to you. And they said, no, no, we don't like this thinking. So Paul has to describe it to them and explain how important it is to them. And the first thing we need to know is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just some phantom rising from the grave. You know, some spirit, some spooky-wookie person wandering around. And, and, and some people, even today, say, well, you know, when Jesus came back to life, it was only his ghost, only his spirit. And they talk about this being a spiritual thing only. And somewhere, if you had the right archaeological dig, you'd find the remains of Jesus somewhere. Well, stop looking. You'll never find him anyway. He is not there. He is risen. The tomb was empty because Jesus was raised from the dead. And uh, they had this, even the early Jews, not just these Greek believers, the early Jews had this as a possible explanation. Because in their culture, as in so many cultures today, there is such a thing as ghosts. And they have a lot of ghost stories. And I, you know, I actually believe that a lot of the ghost stories that we hear about are not the spirits of dead people, but actually demonic spirits impersonating the dead. 
And that's what spiritism really is. If you want more about that, read this book called The Challenging Counterfeit by Raphael Gasson. And he was a spiritist. And he discovered that his contact with spirits from the other world, dead people, spirits, actually were not the spirits of dead people at all, but demonic spirits impersonating the dead, bringing a tremendous destruction in their life. But they had this kind of idea. So they could have explained it all. Yes, Jesus died and we've seen his spirit, and his spirit was around for a little while, and his spirit's gone back to God. But they never used that as an explanation. They said, you know what? Some of them, they thought he was a ghost to begin with, but when they began to touch him and talk to him and have breakfast with him and recognize that the tomb was empty, this was not just a spirit wandering around the place, a lost spirit waiting to go back to God. This was Jesus himself resurrected from the dead. Uh, uh, some people today might suggest, oh, this was Jesus having come back, being born into life again, and they talk about reincarnation. This idea that after you die... You come back, and you come back as somebody else, uh, reincarnation. And, uh, but nobody even uses that as an explanation with any credibility at all, because when Jesus came back into this world, he did not come back as somebody else. He came back as himself, number one. Number two, he didn't come back to live in the world as it is. He came back bringing another world with him. Because his body, though it was him, truly resurrected, and it really was Jesus' body back to life again. It was not to the old life whereby he'd have to die again. No, when he was raised, he was raised never to die again. And he was bringing a whole new dimension, which the Bible calls the new creation. It is the first fruits of the new creation, that little bit of this universe which has already been recreated. And because Jesus lives, we shall live also. Our bodies shall be resurrected. Amen and amen. And so when we talk about resurrection, we're not just saying that Jesus somehow survived death. A lot of people today believe that we do survive death, that we, our soul goes on. And a lot of people believe in life after death. A lot of people don't believe in life after death. They think that once, the, once the, you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. And all those little particles, whatever happens to them, let's not dwell in it. And all the little worms and all that kind of stuff, let's not dwell in it, dwell on it. Uh, but that's the end. That's the end. But when we talk about life after death, we're talking about at least two things. First of all, when we die, the body dies, but the soul continues. The spirit goes to be with God. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But you need to know that that place is not the final destination of believers. The place that Jesus has prepared is a kind of holiday guest house. And we stay there and enjoy him until the moment comes when Christ restores all things. And then we go back to live in our resurrected bodies. We don't stay there forever in this kind of heavenly waiting place. 
Amen and amen. Do you think heaven's your final destination? Heaven is not your final destination. It's where you go when you die awaiting the resurrection. Your final destination is far more wonderful than that. Your final destination is not just heaven. Your final destination is the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. See, God has not finished with this planet. He's not finished with this universe. He created this universe to His glory. And even though now it's a broken universe and it's a broken world, He says, I'm, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to restore it. And the whole creation is groaning as in travail, waiting for that moment, which is the glorious liberty of the sons of God, when we in resurrected bodies will take our place in the renewed universe, which will consist of the new heavens and the new earth. What does he mean? He's saying at that time... God is going to make his habitation with us. Heaven will not be someplace so far away that you go and go and look back and the earth disappears into nothing and you forget about it. All oh, the earth is finished. That was the former life. No, 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 no. God's going to bring us right back here and we're going to live in a restored earth. This is your inheritance. Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. This is where we're going to live. But it will be this world recreated, but very different as well, because heaven will have come down to earth. That's what it's about. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they were living in paradise. And it wasn't just a beautiful physical place. It was beautiful because God was there. God frequently Every night, in fact, he would walk up and down the garden and fellowship with them. And he didn't have very long to go home, not very far to go home. He would just walk in the garden, then just take a few steps into heaven and earth and heaven and earth. It was sin that separated it. And the cross of Jesus Christ will bring it all back together. I imagine it to be like this. This beautiful world restored and recreated to its former glory and maybe even more glorious than ever before will be the dwelling place of God. Heaven, like the new Jerusalem, will come down. And we can so easily walk and talk with each other and enjoy all God's beautiful creation. There will be no holiday brochures. There will be no advertisements in the middle of winter saying, think of summer, because we could go anywhere we ever wanted to go, just as easy as Jesus appeared and disappeared. Bye, I'm off to Mars, back again. <laughs> Did you miss me? But more than our ability to explore the glories, not just of our planet, but of our universe, we will have the privilege of free entrance into God's glory around His throne. It'll be like saying, oh, excuse me, I'll be back in 10,000 years. Where are you going? I'm going for a quick little tour around the throne of God. You can walk from the earth into heaven 
from heaven into the earth. And it will almost be so joined together that you will hardly notice the difference because God's presence will be everywhere. God's dwelling place will be with man. And the resurrection is the first manifestation of that new creation in the physical realm. Already, we are spiritually recreated. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and this is the promise that God gives you if you yield your life to Jesus Christ today. It says, I, we are new creations, amen? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. That is our internal life, the spiritual life of God's kingdom operating in our lives now. But the body is still belonging to the old creation. Do you know that? Well, you know that. Some of you this morning needed a mini resurrection to get out of bed because of the clock trick that they do each year. Thank God that there is foretastes of resurrection life. If you don't believe me that this body, eh, there's something wrong with it, that there's a corruption working on, you don't believe me, ask Max Factor. Ask Max Factor how many tons of cake and paint they and all the other industry together have to put, just so that some people can paper over the cracks. <laughs> but if you peel away the paper, the cracks are there. I know it's impossible to believe, but I'm rapidly approaching 60 years of age. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I don't want you to be deceived. This lithe, lean person that you see before you is actually getting older. Sometimes I allow the signs of aging to appear. <laughs> Sometimes, and maybe even next week, I will cause them to disappear. <laughs> but whether you are die by name or die by nature, <laughs> you cannot disguise the fact that you're aging. And this body well, thank God that the inner person is being renewed day by day. Hallelujah. You never get older inside. Not at all. You get more vibrant, younger, stronger, more anointed, more full of faith, more full of power. Katika jinala yesu. Amen. Hallelujah. But that is old body. I'm noticing that sometimes, occasionally, I need a little nap in the afternoon. Now, you know. You know, now on the serious side, we're joking about, you know, physical aging, but there is a really serious side to this because there's stuff going on in our bodies that God never put there in the first place. The disease and sickness and pain. And that all speaks of this fallen, broken world. But the resurrection says, 
God says, I'm going to make all things new. There's coming a time when there will be no more pain. Have a look at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. I've got it all written up for you. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Very important. Yes, this old creation is going to come to an end. The world as we know it is going to come to an end. And all of those who invest everything into this old world, this old creation, earthly dreams, earthly ambitions, earthly pursuits, earthly pleasures, all of that is going to go away because the new heavens and the new, uh, the new heaven and the new earth is going to be the place where righteousness is at home. And that's how you qualify. It's not for the unrighteous, it's for the righteous. So he says the old earth and the old heaven had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. That's what I've been saying. Heaven is coming down to meet us, and we're going to rise up to greet heaven. But heaven and earth are going to be joined together in the new creation. Amen. We will inherit the earth, but we're also inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. But here's the point I'm coming to, halfway through verse 3. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. No more death. You see, the Bible says death is the last enemy. Death is the last enemy. For us as believers, Paul uses another word for it. It's actually death that he's talking about, but he says you're not all going to sleep. And so what he's saying is that the sting of death has been removed. So even now for you and I, we think of it as a sleep. So it's not the, the teeth from the monster have been removed. The sting in the tail has been taken away. But nevertheless, it is still an unnatural and terrible enemy. It's not a friend. Death is an enemy. It was never part of God's plan. Death only came because of sin. Now, sin is dealt with, and that's the first enemy to be destroyed. And then the second and last enemy is death. But that will happen when Christ returns. And we have the promise of it because it has already happened in the example of Jesus himself. Death, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is our resurrection hope. Now, you know, this is something we need to minister to one another, encourage one another over this. Because so many people mourn the loss of loved ones. And I want to say to you, you're going to see them again. You're going to see them again. In the resurrection, all God's family 
are going to be together. Hallelujah. Right now, they're with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But that's temporary because we won't just be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We'll be present with the Lord in our resurrected bodies. That's the future life. Because all of this is so, people of God, it means that physical life matters. You know, this kind of idea that, you know, we're going to leave the earth behind Antichrist and then the dis destruction, the end of the world, and we'll be somehow far away, oblivious to anything, is not the Bible. God has not forgotten His universe, His physical creation. And He says, you better look after it because it's going to be yours. Imagine if you were living with your granny. And your granny's house is a big, old, beautiful house. It needs a lot of painting. The roof needs doing, all kinds of stuff. And granny says, never mind, dear. One day it will be yours. <laughs> and then granny pops off and it's all yours. You will wish you'd taken more care of it when she was alive. And so God's saying, you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to inherit all of this. Therefore, what you do with it while you are alive, even now in your body, it matters. It matters. Christianity is not just about spiritual stuff where we think about one day getting the heaven out of here and leaving it to Antichrist. It is about living for God in the body. And demonstrating to the world that this is our future home. It's going to have to be renovated. Just like granny's house. You can't stay here forever. It has to be renovated. It has to be restored. But the new renovated earth, the new restored earth will be our home forever in the kingdom of God. And Paul encourages us. And he says, because of this, I want you to know it matters. It matters what you do in your body. It's not just about your spiritual life. It matters. It matters how you behave at work. It matters how you take care of your finances. It matters what kind of person you are as a husband, as a wife, as a relative, or as a friend. It matters how you care about other people because we want to invite as many people to join us in the new heavens and the new earth. But they need to qualify by righteousness. Not their righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when we reach out to people and build relationships with people and say, I'm going to tell you a secret. It's a wonderful secret. You know what the secret is? We're going to inherit all of this. God is coming. Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to recreate new heavens and new earth. And everything you've ever dreamed of is going to be in the future kingdom of God. Why don't you get ready now? The first thing you need to do is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the second thing you need to do is to get used to righteousness. Because if the new heavens and the new earth is the home of righteous, righteousness... Only the righteous will be at home there. So that's why Jesus speaks about it. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, we are building for the future. We are investing for the future kingdom of God. We don't build the kingdom the kingdom of God is. It's God's power and God's rule. But we do work 
for the kingdom and we build for the kingdom. Every single thing you do for Jesus, every word of encouragement that you give and impart, every word of work of kindness that you do, every person that you win to Christ and disciple, every aspect of your life that speaks of the values of the kingdom of God, goodness and kindness and compassion and love and justice, when every single thing that is consistent with the kingdom will not be in vain. That's why the apostle Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it's actually understated, it's not in vain. In other words, it's not going to be wasted. Uh, it's an understatement. What he really means, it's going to be rewarded. It's going to be something that you are investing in now that will bring fruit, not just for this life, but for the life that is to come. This is what it means. This is what true wealth and true riches are all about. Not storing things up on this planet is all going to be destroyed with all of its gold and wealth and pomp and circumstance and selfishness and greed. All that's going to be destroyed. But what's going to remain is God's kingdom. The Bible says, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so when we live in a way that's consistent with the righteous values of the kingdom, in our personal life, our family life, our work life, our moral life, our sexual life, every single thing that we do that is consistent with God's kingdom, submitted to His rule over our lives, will not be in vain. But every single thing that we do that is according to the values of this world, with this world's morality, with this world's philosophy, with this world's ideas that we eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. You are wasting every day you keep in that direction. But the moment you say, no, I'm living for another world, I'm living for the kingdom of God, and it's not going to be so fanciful and so exaggeratedly spiritually and separated from this. It is going to be this, but so much more than this. It's going to be this world recreated and God taking up residence, his dwelling place with us as his covenant people. And so all that I do is done for Jesus. All that I do is done in accordance with the righteous standards of his kingdom. Everything public, private, secret, open, everything is consistent with the Spirit of God who is bringing God's kingdom into our lives. And everything that we do for Him will be rewarded. And so we go back to that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago when God raised Jesus from the dead and gave us the promise, because you live, because I live, 
you will also live. Not just say, you're, you're going to live forever in heaven somewhere. No, 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 because I live in my body. You're going to live, and you're going to have a resurrection body and a place in the resurrection order and a place in the kingdom of God, the future kingdom of God. And so this is so important. If today you're not a believer in Jesus and you thought that Christianity was all about these kind of ideas and beliefs and some things up there which are irrelevant, think again. It's very relevant. It's relevant how you live the rest of this day in this body. It's relevant how you plan your life. It's relevant who you choose to follow because that relevance has to do with the ultimate reality. When God's kingdom comes, you need to be found on righteousness side. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Left a few moments towards the end of this service today to give you a Resurrection Sunday invitation. It is not the invitation that is coming from this church, Kensington Temple, Elam Pentecostal Church. It is not an invitation that is coming from our denomination or even from me personally. It is coming through an ambassador of the King of Kings from Jesus Christ Himself. For this is not my invitation, but His. And He says, repent, be born again. Yield your life by faith in Christ to the powers of the kingdom of God. Surrender your life to the rulership of Jesus and watch Him transform you first from the inside out and finally on that day, your resurrection body will be waiting for you. You say, well, what do I have to do about this? It's very simple. You need to say, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I recognize you for who you are. I believe that you died in my place on the cross. I believe that you really did die. You were buried and you were really raised again from the dead for my salvation. So I confess with my lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If you can say yes to that, then faith has been quickened in your life, and you can confess Christ today. And here's how I want you to do it. We can all do it together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Please repeat the prayer after me. I want everybody, invite everybody to say it loud and strong, even if you are already a believer just say it strong so that it'll encourage others around you who, who are coming to Christ in this moment to say that. But before we pray, I'm going to pray for you. Every Christian praying. Father, I pray for every single person right now that needs to come to Christ. I know there are people, Lord, who came in semi-mocking, maybe interested, maybe a little bit press-ganged into being here, or maybe hungry and thirsty to know truth. Uh, whatever their condition is, God, you are the sovereign God, and I believe that you've spoken to them. Now, by your Spirit, draw them into the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Here's the prayer I want you to repeat. Everybody pray after me. It's a prayer in which you can ask Christ to be your Savior. Over the road in the coronet, watching online, wherever you are, here in the main auditorium, this is the prayer. Pray it after me if you want Christ to be your Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, pray it after me loud and strong. I come to you now, and I confess that I am a sinner lost without you. But I really want to be part of your kingdom. 
Therefore, I acknowledge and confess that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God, that He died for my sins on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. And I put my faith and trust in everything He's done for me, that I might be saved. And I ask that your kingdom will come into my heart as I turn from my sin and turn from my past life to live for you and for you alone. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just, let's just pause for a moment, please. Thank you for that. Let's just pause for a moment. And I want you to publicly acknowledge whether you prayed that prayer for the first time. It is so important because when you actually say, did I, do I really mean it? And you respond, it's kind of processes it in your mind. You say, yes, I, that's what I really want. You might be the most surprised person in this place today. But if that's what's happening on the inside of you, you want Christ in your life, I want to pray for you. We've got something to give you. But I want you, first of all, to indicate, I prayed that prayer. I really do want Christ in my life today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This isn't a spectacle, but this is for you to acknowledge publicly that Jesus Christ is now your Lord. If that's you, lift your hand high right where you're sitting. Somebody's going to come and stand alongside. Lift your hand high saying, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. Right now, Holy Spirit is working. You prayed that prayer and you're saying, Jesus, I need you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. People are lifting their hands. Would the consolidators please acknowledge those folk? Downstairs in the lower hall, overflow, over the road, in the coronet, wherever you are. Lift your hand. Somebody's going to come and stand with you right where you are. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that there are those who are here who have responded. Those continue to lift their hands. Keep doing so. Thank you. There are those here who have responded because you've worked in their lives. And now, God, they are siding with righteousness, saying they want Christ to rule their lives. They're tired of the naturalistic life that has been handed down to them. They know there is more than this. They know there is life after death. They know that God is real. And now they know how it all works, that we are raised together with Christ in resurrection, power, and strength into a physical existence, not inheriting the kingdom in this natural state, but given immortality, to live in the kingdom of God forever. Grant that you may bless them and strengthen them and use them for all of their life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, now we can give Jesus a wonderful praise. God bless you. I know we're going to come and summarize. Please come, Dudley. But let me just say to you uh, from uh, this... Uh, this Was Your Life production is powerful. Whatever you think about the standard of production, which I think is high, 
That's not the main point. The main point is the message. And we've seen scores and scores of people come to faith in Christ. Tonight is the last night, 7.30. Need a little half hour extra to get ready. 7.30 tonight. Pack this place not just with yourselves, but with people who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Let this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, be a Sunday to remember. God bless you. Thank you. Hudley.